tired. So tired. Overtired. Hey, should I do the intro this week? Yeah, I think so. I feel like it's time. Hey, this is Brett, and you're, I'm here with Christina, and you're listening to Overtired. See, it's it's been a while since I really screwed it up well. I liked that, though. I think that was actually a good intro. I, I like it when we mess up, as does the audience. So I feel like it was a very familiar intro. No last names, just... Brett and Christina. We all yes. know each other here. Basically, yeah. How are you doing, Brett? I'm I'm good. I We have... So we've been keeping the kitten... Can I just talk about my kitten? Please. We've been keeping the kitten upstairs with a pet gate, and then Yeti likes to come down with me, so I'll let him down to, when I go down to my office. And recently, I've wanted to give Yeti like free roam without the gate, so we have to keep the dog from going downstairs, because if she gets downstairs, she poops in the basement, which sucks. And so I took an angle grinder, and I cut a pole out of the gate, so now it's big enough for the cats to fit through, but not the dog. And so now the kitten is exploring the basement, which is clearly Yeti's territory. So she's a lot nicer to Yeti down here. But that means that on a regular basis, I suddenly have a kitten in my lap while I'm working and I'm waiting for it to happen during this podcast. I left the door open almost specifically so that I could be delighted by a cat just jumping into my lap. That was a really long story to tell you that there's a kitten in my office. I know, but I liked it. And I like that she's in your office and I like that she's doing well. This is actually though a good segue into Brett's Mental Health Corner. Although first, do we have any sponsors this week? We are sponsored by uh, Ritual this week. I'll, I'll do the read on that when we get to it. Fantastic. No, I just wanted to be able to give them a shout out earlier in the show if, if we needed to. I don't know how the contract stuff works. Yeah, you handle no, all that they, stuff. they don't ask for it, but that's we go above and beyond and let you know <laughs> that we are sponsored by Ritual at the top of the show. Absolutely. All right. So let's segue now into Brett's mental, Brett's mental health corner. So other than having to keep the, the cat from pooping in the basement. Dog. How, the dog poops do, in the, the basement. The dog. I'm sorry. The dog poops in the basement. I'm sorry. The dog poops in the basement. But, ha, but And you need to keep the, the kitten away from it. Other than that, how are you doing? Overall, really good. For some reason today, I'm super scattered. And I just cannot latch on to one project, which I know, ADHD. But I've been super good for the last month. So this is weird. Yeah. I was going to say when we were talking before our show uh, about a couple of things, you're like, yeah, I'm super scattered and I can't focus on anything like important. I was like, oh, a weekday because I don't know this year, especially my ADHD has been out of control, but I've been really glad yours has been better, but I'm, I'm super sorry that it's not. But other than the, the ADHD-ness, everything else good on, on the mental health front? Yeah. I just had a, an appointment with my psychiatrist. Was it yesterday or the day before? I forget now. But I was happy to report for her that since our last meeting, I had not had a single like up or down mood swing. Things That's are awesome. so stable and not like boring stable. Like That's I'm in like thing. a good place. So I'm so happy to hear that. So if you're not drugged, you're not like in like a stasis point, but you're also not like having the instability thing. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a good time to start a day job. Honestly, it is. Any updates on that? No. Uh, I keep getting messages of encouragement and just be patient. It's going to happen. <laughs> so I'm just being patient now. I believe them. It's going to happen. Edit got the offer this morning. 
Okay, so I'm sorry for, for being distracted. I, I but, but but I'm very happy to hear that that, that things are um, progressing well on that front. I'm very sorry to be distracted. This is my ADHDness. Breaking news on my front, and I don't know. Like I'm, I might have to sell in a couple of minutes. I don't know. I made a, a a meme post, shit post, bad financial decision about 36 hours ago. Coinbase, the crypto like mm-hmm. holding thing or whatever went public, and before it was going public crazy stuff was happening with Dogecoin, which was like a fake currency. And was, was a fake currency. Yeah. I'm current. I bought it at $500 36 hours ago. I'm currently at over 800 in Dogecoin. It's no, it's gone up 60% in 36 hours. Oh no. Okay. Now I'm back down to 786. I should have sold when it was at 800, but I'm going to have to not watch this because this is just insane to me. Like I I literally bought it as a lark and it's very possible that, yeah, if it hits, if if I get to the point where I've doubled my money or I'm getting anywhere close to that, I'm getting out and I'm being like, ha, because this is dumb. This is the dumbest thing ever. If you want to check it, when we get to the sponsor read, if you want to check in and figure out if you need to sell, I'll cover for you. Yeah, no, I just, that was the ADHD thing, but also just the stupidity of the world right now, if we can be totally honest, because there, I forgot that I had money in an account that I was able to buy stuff with. And I was just like, okay, I'll just do this because it'll be funny. And I'm, it's midnight and I'm bored and whatever. And yes, I recognize my immense privilege that I just had $500 that I could essentially flush down the toilet. However, but in fairness to me, I'd already accounted for it not being around, like I'd already budgeted around it. So Anyway, but I also acknowledge my massive privilege in all of this. Having said that, this is still stupid even by those. This is just dumb. So one time I so you've heard of MindMeister, the online mind mapping tool. I have they I have like affiliate links for them because I'm a big fan and I talk about them all the time. So they set me up with the affiliate program and I started using those links. This is a few years back, probably almost a decade ago, I started using them and then promptly forgot that they were affiliate links. So after a couple years, I remember, oh, I should go check my account there and see if I've made any money. There was $2,000 sitting in my account that I had to request a withdrawal of because I forgot that I had money. I would Uh... like to make a correction at the top of the hour here. I, and I know that I do this wrong and I didn't think about it, but I went with P-W-N-E-D. I know it's pronounced pwned, but I always say pond. I When I insert the missing vowel, I always pick A. And then you followed my lead on that because you're very polite. But our entire last episode about pwnage, I kept saying pawnage. So I would like to admit my mistake and Thank make you. a public correction that it is pwned. Okay, it is Pwn. And this is where I now admit like one of my mistakes. I think I followed you along because I've never pronounced the P. I've always just pronounced it as ownage. Well, okay. And I think there's an argument to be made for that too. Let's just not say words that are only meant to be written. <laughs> yeah. Let's just not say le- speak aloud. Yeah. Okay. Like, we'll just go silent. Well, that doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. We could spell the words out every time. You know what I didn't do before we started? What's that? See if anyone left us a goddamn review on iTunes yet. Yeah, I was going to say, I haven't checked, and I would very much like to see if anybody has listened to us and has done that, because that would be really great. 
Showing results for overtired. Oh, I'm in music. I have to open. It's a separate app now. I know. I hate it so much. This is good radio. This is fantastic radio. This is why people listen to our podcast and leave us one star. No, excuse me, two star reviews because we tried. And they're like, this is the most boring stuff ever. And it sounds like two really tired people. That's exactly what this is. We have new one. (gasps) We, We have a couple. Oh, okay. Okay. From someone named Dayton TP. For someone with anxiety, OCD, and stays up too late each night, I can relate to many of the topics of discussion on this podcast. I have also been in software development for over 20 years, so I enjoy that side of the discussion. Five stars. Oh, thank you, Dayton PT. That's so nice. Another five-star review from Sam Salmonella. Only better when tired. Both tech and some pop news media bits and pieces. Both hosts are excellent and true longtime friends, and it shows. This, the show is quirky but awesome. I can't say I've heard them all, but I did start listening pretty early. Christina was in Brooklyn. Wow. Yep. People did listen to us. Oh, and then. Oh, gee. Hell yeah. Thank you. Jay Miller, a friend of the show. Uh, because they understand my brain better than me. Five stars. I got diagnosed with ADHD and anxiety after I was able to identify some of my own behavioral patterns in these two. Brett's <laughs> manic coding states and Christina's excellent taste in things code, shoes, and drama always leave me wanting to check into everything they talk. Aw, thank you, Jay. That's so nice. Yeah. I'm going to cry. Thank Aww. you, listeners. This is really nice. Are you, do, you, do, you have, do you have good taste in shoes? I do have good taste in shoes. I don't get shoes. I've realized I love like women's fashion. Mm-hmm. If, if a, a significant other says, how do I look in this? I am happy to like find all the great things about what they're wearing. I really enjoy women's clothing, but I don't like there. I, it's not a foot fetish. Like I just am always happier. An outfit always looks better with bare feet to me. Like I don't, I think I dislike shoes. That's fair. And and shoes are definitely one of those things where you don't always need it in an outfit. Sometimes for certain styles, it can be fine without. But I will say, I think that the right shoe can really pull an entire thing together and the wrong shoe can kill an outfit. Oh, I thought you were going to say the left shoe. No, that um, would have been actually funnier. I think my cat's about to unplug my microphone if I disappear. Okay. It's not the kitten. I would expect that of the kitten. It's Yeti who's decided to cruise around behind my monitor where all the cables are wrapped up. Anyhow, let's assume that's not going to happen. I heard that there was, and we have to, uh, it's part, we have to talk about it, that there was a new Taylor Swift something. Yes, this is very exciting. Tell me about it. Okay, so Fearless, which is, okay, if I, I think that, okay, I don't even know where my ranking of Taylor Swift's albums are right now because um, uh, Folklore and Evermore truly fucked things up and I'm probably going to need another six months to like sit and, and think on that. But it, it is one of her best albums and it it's definitely was her breakout album. It came out in November of 2008 and was her second album. It went on to win Album of the Year at the Grammys. It spawned some of her biggest early hits, You Belong With Me, which is one of the greatest pop songs of the 21st century, like even grizzled rock critics agree with that. It's a great pop song and love story, which is so ubiquitous and amazing. 
And it's just, it's a really good album. It has some good ballads on it. It is still very much a country album, but this was very much her, like her debut album is okay, but Fearless is where the Taylor Swift that we know and love and have spent years on this podcast talking about the intricacies of all the type A shit about her. This is where that really started. And she, we talked about how she'd re-recorded Love Story a, a few months back, but the, the whole album is now out. And without getting into the strum and drum about why she did, this is basically a, a rights issue. It's basically a fuck you to the people who owned her masters and then have sold them now twice. And because she is a songwriter, she owns the publishing rights and she can re-record her songs. So she basically went back into the studio and re-recorded the album got many of the same people involved to play their parts, got like the same, like there was a feature on one of the songs. She got that artist back in to do the feature and made them sound as close to the originals as one could expect. Like it's eerie. It, they sound more like remasters than re-records in all honesty. And it's it's pretty great. I have to say, I don't know if I love it more than the original because there's something about, she's 31 now, the vocals are not going to be the same, although she did a really good job of trying to mimic how she sounded when she was younger. But there are, are on certain songs, there are just certain things where you can just hear your, she's a better vocalist now, but that doesn't necessarily make the song better. I don't know. It just makes it different. But it's a pretty impressive piece of work and definitely a money grab. And it's definitely a rights thing. It's a fuck you thing. It's also she's refused to license any of her older songs for uh, television or movies, and she will license the new versions. So there's that component. That's of, good. I heard she really needs the cash. Completely. This is this, we've talked about this for years, though. You love this about her too. She's such a petty bitch. Like she's so fucking petty. And and this is the pettiest of Taylor Swift moves to meticulously recreate your most successful album, even a- though. You have billions of dollars, millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. Sorry, go on. There was a Stephen Wright one-liner where he said, well, I guess it was two lines, but he said that he stole all of his roommate's furniture and replaced it with exact duplicates. And in the morning, his roommate said, oh, man, now I forgot the joke. Anyway, it would have been, it, this would have been an appropriate joke. <laughs> And a reference to to Stephen, it would have been great. It would have been. I fucked it up. I fucked it up. Anyway, yeah, we talked about Taylor and her re-recording of all these albums a few episodes ago. So this is the fruit of that, huh? Yeah, this is the fruit of that. And I'm pretty impressed with it. Like I said, I don't, I think that there's a certain magic that you can't recreate. And there's like a certain... I don't know. There's something even with if the vocals aren't as strong, like it might technically be better, but there's just some sort of effervescence of having an 18 year old recording those songs and then being the diary of her life that you can't recapture, which is completely okay. And that's why I'm glad that the originals are still out there. And ultimately, I think that her long play on this is that she wants to devalue the masters enough that she can buy them like for less than whatever the holding company paid for them. She doesn't want to spend $300 million on her old work. And so she would like to be able to buy them at a discount. And I think that ultimately like that would happen. And I could totally see if that happens, her then re-releasing dueling versions or some shit. And that would be the money grab. And, and people like me will completely eat it up and it's fine. But Ben Thompson actually wrote a pretty insightful essay on a strategy called Non-Fungible Taylor Swift about kind of, the process of what she did and 
what it means about art and artists. And that's in our show notes and that's worth the read, I think. But it's it's an interesting play. The most fun part for me, to be honest, even though Twitter was around in 2008, I certainly was not on Taylor Swift Twitter. And I don't think Taylor Swift Twitter was a thing. And because Twitter was a very different place. And so what was neat about the release, and this was the same with Love Story when that came out, was just being able to relive and with a whole bunch of people of different age ranges reminisce about the song and the album. But what was really fun is that my friend Frank, who is a media reporter at CNN, he's a really big Taylor Swift fan, but he didn't get into her until 1989. That's his album. And he'd never heard Fearless before. Like he'd heard the singles maybe, but he'd never heard the album. And so he was able to experience it for the first time. And he was texting me and he was tweeting. And that was really surprisingly fun to see like a whole generation of people, both older people, but also younger people who were maybe five years old when the original came out, who were discovering it for the first time and have never really heard the album, which is neat to see like different people discovering this thing that was very much this product of her when she was 18 years old. And uh, I don't know, it made me think back to what my life was like when that album came out. I was certainly not 18 years old, although that is what I will lie and tell people now since I'm 29 forever. But yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I don't know if anybody else could have done this the way that she did this except for her, but yeah. So I listened to it Mm -hmm. and like, I have very particular Taylor Swift tastes. Like there are very specific eras of Taylor Swift that I actually enjoy. You like the 1989 era stuff. I like that. And folklore grew on me. Yes. Uh, oh, I'm glad to hear that. Okay. Like, there, I'll, I'll admit, like, I'm still very partial to the stuff she did with Bonavar. Yeah, Bonavar, absolutely. But I did not love Fearless. I gave it a listen. I did my due diligence. Appreciate that. I, I even played some of it in the Discord chat room. We have a little disco that'll play YouTube music for you. Mm-hmm. I I gave it a shot. It's not my Taylor Swift. Yes, I can totally understand that. Because she was, it, it's an 18-year-old girl's diary. Sure. And I yeah, I, we've talked about my distaste for young women before. I'm no Matt Gates. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Bazinga. Ooh, no, politics. But, 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 we did it. Oh, ooh, politics. We did it. No, but I was going to, no, but I, I totally get you. And I wouldn't have expected Fearless to be the album for you. I think there are where you'll start to get in with the re releases that I think would be more interesting to you would be Red. Like, Red would be the album I would want you to listen to. Yeah. Because to me, that's the one I'm excited for you to hear. Because Red, A, it's my favorite. And I don't think you'll love all of it, but I think you'll like aspects of it because Red to me, combines the best parts of 1989 and folklore. Okay. I'll, I, I will anxiously await that. But yeah, but anyway, we had to mention that it, it's out. There have been like no shortage of opinions about it as always, but good for her for doing the most Taylor Swift thing of all time, which is to meticulously recreate note for note, like your old work. I think that's our show title. The most Taylor Swift thing of all time. I took a note. It could happen. You know what I learned in my 30s that kind of blew my mind? What's that? Peanuts aren't nuts. Right. They're legumes. Yeah. I didn't. I never thought twice about that. And then in my 30s, I, I find out that peanuts are really beans. Yeah. I don't know why that was on my mind. Oh, because I had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for lunch, which I don't do often anymore. But That's that, a great sandwich. Yeah, it's, it's, if you think about it, it's a bean salad. Okay, if, see, if the jelly is the dressing and the peanuts are the bean. 
Uh, it's health food. It is. Okay. See, but now that you put it in that perspective, because I hate beans, but I love peanuts. So I don't know. Maybe it's the preparation. So for a long time, I hated tomatoes. Like I could not eat a fresh tomato. It made me gag. Like I would spit it out. But I always loved marinara sauce and I always loved ketchup, both of which have a the tomatoes are cooked down till they're Mm -hmm. just sweet. And then in the case of ketchup, you had sugar and vinegar. And so I I, I decided that I like tomatoes with enough sweetness. Something shifted for me. I in the last year, I love tomatoes now. I can eat like raw tomato. It's crazy. Hmm. But I do understand that some things you can hate in their like whole form, but enjoy in their cooked, modified, cooked, boiled down forms. Yeah, I think for me, beans, it's largely been a texture thing. And then for some of them, it is a smell thing. Like for some beans, this smell is just one of those things that just I can't with it. Like it's just terrible. But I think it's largely a texture thing. Weirdly, I don't know. I was like that with mushrooms. No, mushrooms were both smell and texture for me. But then I got obsessed with fungi fungi in general. And Mm -hmm. just like from a biological perspective, it's amazing stuff. And that made me like reconsider my stance on eating mushrooms. And that developed too. Now, I still don't love the texture, but now I love mushrooms. Interesting. Interesting. I enjoy the flavor of mushrooms. I like like what they can add to something. I also don't love the texture, but if it can be hidden enough in something that I can deal with it, but I I would never eat a raw mushroom. That would never be a thing I would do. Oh, I don't know that I would eat a raw mushroom, but I do like them just lightly fried in a skillet. Yeah. One of the one of the meals that HelloFresh sent me, they should sponsor us. I've said it before. They should. One of the meals was like it's it was like a Philly cheesesteak, but instead of steak it was all just mushrooms. And so it was this like just pile of mushrooms in a sandwich. And I thought if I'm going to find out if I really like mushrooms, this is going to be the recipe that does it. And I loved it. So non-fungible, what does that even mean? What does fungible mean? Is that like fungi? I think that it was more of a response to the whole like a non-fungible token thing, NFTs. Oh, is that what that stands for? I'm yeah. afraid I don't know what an NFT is. You you should enlighten me. It's magic beans, so that fits with our, our discussion. <laughs> it's 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 basically it, the way that they explain it, but this isn't exactly what it is because it's actually dumber than this. Is that somebody puts a copy of something on a blockchain and then sells that copy to someone, but because it's a digital asset, it's not as if it's it couldn't be copied and then sold or, or used outside of its blockchain capability. It's money laundering is basically what it is. But in truth, it's people pointing to JSON files on a blockchain that go to a server somewhere that link to a digital asset of some sort. Okay, it's really dumb. It's money laundering. And I'm I'm actually, I'm only being 50% flip there because I'm convinced that the huge surge in NFT pricing is much like the surge in my Dogecoin. It's just completely stupid and and unexplainable, but also I think in the case of NFTs, very much money laundering. All right. So you sent me this this essay and I I feel like it's worth mentioning. Do you want to introduce it or should I give my impression of it? So it's basically, it's called Embrace the Grind by Jacob Kaplan Moss. 
And it it's about, it starts out talking about the secret to a good magic trick is putting in so much work behind the scenes that no one would assume, like a, a, an amount of work that no one would assume you, you would put in. Go beyond right. that kind of reasonable limit. And then it seems like magic. You'll always be fooled if you can assume that nobody would do that much work. And it, in, in, it winds its way through to comparing that to, to programming and, and like development in general. And I love this. He, he quotes Larry Walls from The Virtues of, Pro, of the Programmer, defines laziness as the quality that makes you go to great effort to reduce overall energy expenditure. It makes you write labor-saving programs that other people will find useful and document what you wrote so you don't have to answer so many questions about it. <laughs> and that really speaks to me. 100%. Yeah, no, I really like the essay. Jacob um, was one of the, the co-founders of Django, and which I, th- I think is is great. And the re- I, I, you've used Django, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love the whole history of that project, just as a brief aside, because it combines my two favorite things, which are media and uh, programming, because it was created while at, I think it was the Lawrence Press, I think that was the name of it, but it was at a newspaper in Kansas City. And they needed a system and he created, they created Django to basically be their system for, for running their newspaper. And I love that. Anyway, I really liked the essay and it, I, it made me think of you. And so I was glad that we could talk about it because some of the stuff, because I could see so many things in that, like both the Larry Wall quote that you quoted is the completely you, but also the nature of sometimes what we do and what we automate is magic, but that sometimes you have to do the work even when it is mundane and tedious and not something that anybody would want to do or think to do. And that's how you can get really incredible results. I I don't know. Made me think of you. Yeah. It's the idea that it's laziness that drives me to do a lot of what I do. Like I see a problem that I know it would be possible through a significant amount of work to make that problem automate it, make it go away. So I find myself willing to put in an entire weekend to write one script that will save me, the first time I run it, it'll save me 45 seconds. And then I'll just have to plan to keep using it for the next year to actually add up to save the amount of time I invested in it, which is XKCD's uh, automation graph. I'll find the link for that. But I also, I enjoy putting in that work. I do too. I do too. I actually, no, I I love putting in that work. And it was funny because the example that that he gives, I've never done anything quite to that scale of kind of mundanity, but it reminded me, uh, and it's always a metadata problem. It always is, at least for me, for some of these tasks where at at Mashable, we had to redo our tagging system. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those things where like at first, the the tech team and we're all looking at ways they could maybe automate the system and they could maybe do this and that but then there were false positives and there was other stuff and I was getting frustrated and so finally I was just like okay this is what we're doing and I I recruited a few people and I was like we're going to stay after work for 3 or 4 hours we're going to order pizza we're going to drink beer and we are going to by hand go through the entire archive and clean up the tax oh and you should have called me 
I, so at Tua, before I actually worked for AOL, I got frustrated with the fact that people would just randomly tag every post and use different spellings of what should have been the same tag and thereby completely defeat the purpose of tagging. So right. I, I wrote an auto tag plugin that would go and while you were writing, because in TextMate, obviously, you were writing and it would read your posts search the list of existing tags and suggest tags that already existed that would apply to the post you were writing. I, I replicated this as a WordPress plugin and, and it could also, oh, once I got the AOL gig and had access to the actual database, I went through and did like automated cleanup of, across and Gadget and the unofficial Apple weblog to consolidate plurals and capitalizations mm -hmm. and like snake case things that were hyphenated and like just wrote these scripts. Took me probably a week to, because you don't want to fuck that up. Right. <laughs> you're, you're going right after the main database that runs high traffic sites. So you, you got to take your time. But I, I did it and I made that metadata sparkle. Yeah, we had something, I think that and it was not as extensive as what you did, but I think that we did have some layer, at least at first, where we'd either identified things that could have been like misspellings that were similar enough, like fuzzy stuff and things that had hyphens, you know, versus spaces. Yeah. So we had some of that was already grouped together. So some of that work was done and we didn't go through the entire, like at that point, I think the site was, I think this was 20. 12 when we did this. Maybe it's 2011. I don't remember. I think it was 2012. At that point, the, the site was seven years old. And so there was a bunch of stuff in the early stuff, like be anything before I'd say like 2009, we didn't care that much about. Yeah. But there, there were some things that, that we did and it was just, and we kind of grouped things into, we also... So we didn't care about certain things before a certain date because it didn't matter. And then there were certain things that we did care a lot about, certain categories we wanted to make sure were corrected a certain way. And there were focus areas. So it wasn't like we had to go through every single post, but it was a lot. And the reason being like they automated as much as they could and, and they did co combine so that if you went to a tag page for either like the, the words together or separated by a comma or, or, or a dash or not a comma, but like a dash or whatever, like both would show up. So that was already done in, in the regexts and the redirects, but we needed to make sure that stuff that might not have been tagged appropriately at all got tagged. And that's something that you couldn't automate. That was something that there were, in some cases, people just didn't tag stuff and didn't put things in the, in the proper orders and whatnot. And we couldn't find a tech problem around it. And I was getting so frustrated. I was like, okay, we're, I recruited a, a handful of people and I was like, we're just going to order in food and drink and do this. And we did it and then had a really good and well-enforced system going forward. It was well-enforced for a number of years. Then as there was churn, people didn't enforce the tagging system as well, But which is always the case. That's always a problem like, with metadata, with stuff like that. It's ongoing. You have to be like ongoingly like vigilant with that. That's why but, I automate it. That's why you automate it. But what I mean is you're bringing new people in. This is my point. If you're bringing new people in, you have to, they need to know the way of, of doing stuff. Because if someone doesn't add a tag to something, then that you can't automate around that. Okay, so you can though. I have scripts that go through the content, stem all of the words, remove all the stop words, and then any significant word that's left gets compared against existing tags and uses external services to categorize and sentiment uh, analysis 
to add tags automatically. Sure, a little bit, but you can make it so that a new person coming in forgets the tag and at least the bare minimum of obvious tags get added to their post for them. Fair enough. Although I would argue still, and I think this is like part of doing the work thing, because it's awesome that you can do that and you can build that. But I I would still argue that it would be, and this is me less true to, to, to the blog post and more true to the XKCD thing, that the much better resource is just to train people well about how to do tags. Yeah, but I think that if, if you make it as part of the process, you can do things where it can auto-tag stuff, but auto-tagging can also go horribly awry. Because so you might at the very it. least, so you need auto-complete. The CMS yeah. has to, you should be able to start typing any tag yes. and it Agreed. should always finish it with an existing tag for you. If a site's no, been I, around for seven years with the amount of content that Mashable has, you absolutely have that tag and, and we and yeah no and, and we had that we had an autocomplete thing and so that that worked the problem was and this was something that they did with the automation was that if you had something misspelled the misspelling would often come up really high and so if you're not paying super close attention then it's tagged the wrong thing or there were duplicate tags like we used to use one tag for something then we started using another like at one point you're using fb and for Facebook and, and then another time it's Facebook. Yeah. And those are the sorts of things that even with automation, they can mean different things and they can have different contexts. Google Plus was a really hard one because the <laughs> plus mark would wreak havoc on stuff. It wreaked havoc for Google itself. And so we had Google Dash Plus, G Plus, Google Plus as, as to work. Like that was a, a nightmare in and of itself to work out. Anyway, it had me thinking about that. And then early in my Microsoft career, I wasn't on that team for very long. But they were going through a similar like metadata, just massive problem. And again, they were automating it and they were trying to go through the system. And and we were reaching a point where they were doing all the things you were talking about, but there was certain stuff with just the way that some things had to be machine tagged and some things had to be hand tagged and and stuff was just not working well. And I'd broached the subject and I don't think they ever did it and the team doesn't exist anymore. But I was like, there are only like the, the, the number of pieces of content wasn't that, tremendous. Like it wasn't, certainly wasn't the size of the Mashable database where I was like, we could just go through this and fix this stuff and then set up the going forward, auto-complete, auto-do it system, right? Going forward, it can be done the right way, but for all your past stuff, you need to go back and clean it up, which with edge cases and whatnot, and in the way that those systems all worked, which were built by various people and, and vendors and stuff over many years would have been a nightmare to try to fix yeah. the usual ways. I still stand by. I was like, this is going to be a slog where this should be how you fix it. Cause, cause even reading, cause I reading Jacob's example of what he did to get their ticket system under control, knowing you, I knew in your mind, you're thinking, Oh, I could have come up with, with ways to, to do that without doing what he did, which is printing them all out on the floor and, and collating them and whatnot. And maybe you could have, but I wonder if it would have been any faster or it any less. It wouldn't have. Like the amount of parsing I would have to do to categorize this, and this find exactly duplicates. It. Exactly. So at some time, so in some cases, you just need to like give up the ghost and be like, okay, we're going to sit here with some wine or we're going to print stuff out on the floor and do it. Oh, I miss drinking. Bug, bug hunting was so much more fun with, with booze. <sighs> yeah. So go to bunchapp.co. I in, in in anticipation of making bunch a commercial app, I redesigned the whole oh, website. And oh, it looks so good. Thanks. I wrote a bunch of the carousel on the homepage. I it's a custom plugin. And then the callouts yeah. all if you don't hover over one of the callouts, they start like cycling. 
And then if you hover over one, it stops the cycle and then picks it back up when you move your Mazda. Little stuff like that I spent way too much time on. But of course you did. What did you build this on? Is this a Jekyll or what? Yeah, it's Jekyll. Uh, Jekyll, Very a nice. bunch of markdown files. It started as a theme called Just the Docs, but I customized it so far that it's my own thing now. But if you go into the docs, mm-hmm. the okay. amount of documentation I've written is insane. Open yeah, up the so bunch good. files section. I'm I'm here. Oh my god. It's yeah, and there's subsections within running subsections. Scripts, running Apple script, running workflows. This is really great. But check this out. Because there's so much documentation, it's really easy to lose when I add new stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you go to the change log and up at the top, there's a recently updated documentation. You can drop that down. It uses Git. When I publish a new release of Bunch, I use Git Flow and I create a release. I tag a release. And then when I generate the website, it has a plugin that goes in, checks the files changed in the last commit to the main branch, which would be the the release tag. Yeah. And then you can view the diff. I'm looking at this. This is awesome. Yeah. It works really well. It's a super fast way to see like what's new and changed uh, and jump right to the documentation. I'm very proud of it. That's awesome. I love that. Oh, also, congratulations. The stars plugin that we run on overtiredpod.com to show your stars. I, I publicly released that as a plugin. I rewrote it a couple times, actually, but nice. now it actually does update once an hour. It doesn't update every time the page loads, but once an hour, it refreshes the data. And God damn, I made it look great. Yeah, you did. That's <laughs> awesome. I'm. Like, I, I love that. Is that on your GitHub or where is it? It's only on my blog. I was going to put it on, uh, I was going to put it right into the WordPress plugins repository right. directory, but it still uses Subversion and I refuse right. to install Subversion. Like, I'm so done with SVN. Oh, I know. I know. Honestly, okay. Thank you for saying this because <laughs> this is, you know, the fact that you won't release it in, in the repository because of that, because... They've been arguing for about eight years, at least, about trying to move WordPress off of SVN. And a lot of the the thing has been that there are certain stuff that they use with track that is SVN-based and this and that, and, and there's other stuff. But what doesn't get enough attention is now the new barrier to entry for anybody to actually publish in their ecosystem. And so this might be something that I can like point to people who I know in that community and be like, hey, just... One anecdote, I know it's not going to change any hearts or minds, but just as an anecdote, this is something that was cool, that was too much effort and too much horror for someone to submit to the repository, so they put it on their own website instead. Keep in mind that it's a pretty dumb plugin. It is, but it doesn't matter. So there's this trade-off. Is it worth dealing with SVN? You're completely correct. But the thing is that even if it was an important plugin... Do you want to jump through those hoops? That's the thing. And, and I think that this is where like the WordPress people, to me, bike shed and get obsessive over the stupidest shit and don't realize it's, okay, on the high-end customizability end, you're losing the static site generators. On the lower-end, Squarespace is eating your lunch. You still have 40% of the web, but come on, guys. Like You're, you're losing stuff you shouldn't be losing here because you refuse to update your tooling. I am going to, in the show notes, there's a link to a a GitHub action 
that will deploy a plugin to the WordPress. Yeah, uh, I think that, is it from 10up? Did 10up do this? Yes. Okay, great. Then Helen did this. I was going to say, okay, awesome. Yeah. So it's still, even this was just too much setup for as dumb as my little plugin is. It was too much setup, but there does exist a way. If you're going to make a, a decent plugin, you can host it on GitHub and GitHub can automatically export it to the repository for you. God bless Helen and the TenUp team because... What is TenUp? Should I know more about TenUp? Yeah, TenUp is cool. They are a um, full-time, like a like very big like WordPress agency. And they also, so they build a bunch of big things. If you go to their website, it's the number 10up.com. Like they did Politico and 538 and Motor Trend. They've worked with a bunch of big brands, but they also are really interesting, I think, insofar as they like have people who they allow to do their full-time job as working on open source. Like I think Helen's full-time job, she's like the core lead developer of WordPress and she, that is like her full-time job and tenant pays for that. And which is why she can do things like understanding she works on the ecosystem. She's been like a, a release lead and, and other stuff in the project. She knows those politics very well, but she also sometimes has the opportunity through her employer to be like, okay, if the minutiations of the open source project and, and the governance around WordPress.org are going to be the way that they are, then I can find these solutions because we as 10up need these plugins and need these things. So we can create a GitHub action to make this easier for everyone and contribute it to open source. They've been around, I think, about a decade. And I, I know a, a few of the people who work there and they're good people. And I, when you said that, I was like, I bet that's a 10up thing because that seemed like something that Helen would definitely create and and do. But yeah, they're cool people. Like if you need, uh, I don't know anything about what they charge. I assume it's a lot. But if you're a business who's looking for a really customizable and really solid like like WordPress solution, although I think they, they work with more than just WordPress, but they're obviously really big with WordPress. They're probably one of the best agencies out there. Are you ready? Yep. So this 10up GitHub action really fills the gap when it comes to submitting plugins to the GitHub repository plugin directory. Yes. And speaking of filling gaps, Ritual is a multivitamin yes. that fills yes. the gaps in your diet. Yes. Hell yeah. This episode is brought to you by Ritual, a complete multivitamin that gets delivered conveniently to your door every month. Ritual isn't your typical multivitamin. Its clean, vegan-friendly formula is made with key nutrients in bioavailable forms that your body can actually use with no sugars, major allergens, synthetic fillers, or artificial colorants. Plus, they taste all minty and good. The convenience of Ritual is the key. My vitamins show up at my door without me having to think about it, place frequent orders, or, God forbid, leave the house. Once you get into the groove, a ritual, if you will, popping two at whatever time of day works for you gives you the benefit of filling nutrient gaps in your diet without having to think about it. And you'll always know what nutrients you're taking and where they come from thanks to Ritual's one-of-a-kind visible supply chain. Ritual multivitamins are delivered every month with free shipping. You can start, snooze, or cancel your subscription anytime. And if you don't love Ritual within your first month, they'll refund your first order. So if you want to get key nutrients without the BS, Ritual is offering overtired listeners 10% off during their first three months. Just visit ritual.com slash overtired to start your Ritual today. 
Fantastic. Uh, Fantastic segue as well. I, I, I was waiting. I was biding my time. I feel like I actually got a, I got a good segue in and it wasn't like 20 minutes after the point where it would have been relevant. No, you nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Just for your ritual. Love it. Bringing my best to the game. You're, you're, you're doing some new stuff or, or you're considering some keycap stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I've been going down this whole rabbit hole of the mechanical keyboard world and man, a, this hobby is entirely too expensive. Like people always talk about that, but wow, like I had no idea. And I'm not going to be one of those people who really gets into the keycap, like in, into buying a lot of the, the the keycap stuff because it's just, or the keyboard stuff in general, because it's just incredibly expensive. And just, I am too ADHD. I will lose interest. Sure. You know what I mean? But I've been like, so the way that the keycap sets work, and I didn't realize this, there are a handful of keycap manufacturers that are considered high quality. So there are some fairly low quality Chinese made ones, and some of them are good, but there are a handful that are considered really high quality. And for people who want to do their own customized keycap set, the two biggest ones would be Signature Plastics, which is based in Washington State, but very close to Canada, and then GMK, which is based in Germany. And then there's I think EPBT is another one. I'm not going to get into all the all the variants, but I was looking at what would go into, okay, I had an idea for maybe the color theme of what would be a good looking keycap set. How would that work? And the process is interesting. And what tends to happen is that people create what are known as interest checks or they get like feedback forms and they they come up with kind of their designs and their colors using the the available colors from from the available manufacturers and and then they create what the layout would look like and then they create renders of what that would look like on different keyboards and with different key profiles and that sort of thing and then they submit interest checks and see how many people will be interested in those things and if enough people are interested then the small number of keycap sellers will be willing to say, okay, we will front the money or we will be the the person who will place the order with the keycap manufacturer. Something will happen called a group buy where you need to hit a certain number to for it to be successful. If it's successful, then you place an order with one of those manufacturers. And then a year later, you get your keycaps. Yeah. I follow a couple of these on uh, on Instagram. Mostly just to watch, but they're constantly posting renders for that purpose to get the at the interest check. Yeah, I, I you mentioned this because you noticed some things that I had starred and on my GitHub, and it was weird because I was going down this rabbit hole and I didn't even realize this. But Tim Van Dam, who is one of my favorite designers ever, has recently launched his own MVKB website where he is showing his work in progress for some of his different keycap sets. Tim was really big in the icon and, and web design space in, in the late aughts, early tens, and is still a, a great designer and guy. But I literally ran across, I'm going to put that in our show notes, about his thing that shows some of his interest checks in the show notes to mvkb.com, which is a great name, because Max Voltar is uh, a Twitter handle and, and online nom de plume. And so some of the stuff that he's running interest checks are really good. But yeah, I've thought about it. Like my, my friend Sarah made a really great Visual Studio Code theme. And I've been thinking about trying to get with her and be like, hey, what if we turn that theme into a keyboard <laughs> design? I So like, I love putting together keycap sets. I wish like Drop always has like group buys on keycap yes. sets and they have some really cool ones, 
But because I use the ultimate hacking keyboard, which has a bizarre layout, like all of the, I can't, I, I, if I'm going to build a full keycap set, I have, have to, to buy everything. I have to custom print like the caps lock, the enter key, like none of them are any standard size that you would find in any keyboard set. So I have to custom print about five different keys and getting custom printing that matches whatever fancy keycap set you bought is nearly impossible, which means then in order to get a matching set, I end up custom printing things like the left shift key, even though that I could find that in a set, could find that. but I can't make it match the tab and caps lock key. So in order to get everything matching, it's a lot of custom printing and like some of the, to the angles, like the R1 through four or whatever it is, yeah. like that's all weird on this keyboard too, which makes it almost impossible. It's frustrating. So this now has me thinking, and I'm going to investigate this more. I'm putting this in my notes for thing to, to do what it would take for us to, if we were interested to maybe come up with an overtired branded set we could put out an interest check for it. We could put it on all the places after we did our due diligence and maybe see if we could get enough interest and get a group buy. And then at the very least, you could have one that would be made from the get-go purple, for all of your keycaps. Purple yeah. and white letters, purple modifier keys. Okay, and what's cool... Okay, here's what would be cool about that is that the theme that Sarah, her VS Code theme is purple-themed. So maybe this would be a way to, to do kill two birds with one stone, so to speak. I'm going to look into this now. My cat showed up. She's biting awesome. my she's biting my mic cable right now. Sarah's uh, Sarah's VS Code theme is called Night Owl, by the way. Night Owl. I am so obsessed with Nord right now. Have, have you seen the Stars plugin? I use the yeah. Nord color palette for that. Yeah, I love the Nord color palette. It's great. I, in fact, if you look at the bunchapp.co, I I lifted a lot of Nord colors. I like the whole thing's uh, built in SAS, so like I can just change one variables file and, and redo the colors for the whole site. So I just to test punched in the Nord colors and I liked it so much. I kept it. Yeah. I've been using Synthwave 84 for about two years now, and that's one of my favorites, but I love the Nord uh, theme as well. I have to look up Synthwave 84. Panic basically adapted it. Like they worked with the guy who created it as one of their themes in Nova. Cool. Cool. I'm going to, Oh, yeah. As far as dark themes go, that that one's pretty good. I, I'm yeah, not a fan of I'm not a fan of the the reddish background. Yeah, and you might not like the glow effect, although you can turn that off. I do the glow uh, effect. I use the glow effect. The glow all effect the time. is really cool. Yeah, the glow effect is really cool. I, I I often oh man on the blues for the like the functions that looks really good. Yeah, I'm gonna. Yeah, no, it lo it's pretty awesome. There might be things you want to adapt with that. But yeah, and Drop has a keycap set. It just went up for Group by again. It won't be out for a year, but I've been wanting it. It's a, uh, there's a, a keycap designer. His name is Micho. And they just dropped like the SA laser. So SA being the, the keycaps profile. And, and SA is, is one of the exclusive profiles of Signature Plastics, which is one of the keycap makers I learned. These are all things I've learned in like the last two weeks, Brett. I've really fallen down this whole world. But I... I just got this. I, I just put in for it. I just was like, screw it. There's in a year, I'll have some really great looking keycaps. Nice. Before we go, I, like I keep putting like apps I want to talk about on our lists uh, yes. for, for if we get to them. There's one that I, I do want to mention because it won't take long. There's a new macOS 
plugin, like an extension called Peak. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it give. Do you remember up until 2015 how you could run a defaults command and make text in a Quick Look preview selectable? Yes. And then in 2015, Apple curtailed that. And right. ever since then, if you drag your mouse across like a text preview, it just moves the window. Peak brings back text selection. It also does source code, syntax highlighting, and markdown rendering, which there are free alternatives to do both of those things. So the thing I love is the text selection. Now I can copy and paste text out of Quick Look previews of text and source files and markdown files. And it is, it's worth the eight bucks to me to have that back. No, I love this. And okay, so this is in the Mac App Store. It's $8 and it's a Quick Look extension. Yeah, and which somehow, is awesome. Somehow they got it into the Mac App Store because I'm pretty sure Just to accomplish it has. Well, I'm pretty sure to accomplish this dark magic, they're actually putting up a preview in front of the preview in the Quick Look, and it, either that or they're using private APIs. But however they did it, it's fully, fully made it through App Store security, and. Like I was talking to the developer and he basically, they're being very careful about what apps they let it work inside of because mm-hmm. there are potential security concerns with however it is they're doing it. Because Hootaspot just added selectable text in their internal Quick Look preview. And ironically enough, if you're running Peak and it takes over the preview inside of Hootaspot, then you can't select text at all, even though you have two things piled on top of each other, both of which are supposed to allow it. But that is supposed to be fixed in the next release of Peak. Yeah, this is awesome. And I'm interested in what he did here too. I'm I'm now looking at the Reddit thread that, that kind of like talks about this. And of course, the, the first comment is, QL color code is a free quick look plugin for syntax highlighting. Yeah. It's like, motherfucker, that is not what this is. Yeah. This is for, for this is for, this is because well, I'm pretty of, sure it like, even uses QL color code. Like it's the I'm exact sure that same. it does. Oh, I'm sure that it does. But this is all about like the banning of enable text selection, yeah. right? This is a different thing, asshole. Like yeah, the this syntax is not about highlighting and markdown rendering are just nice to have, and it's nice to have those both in one plugin. Exactly. But that's it, it, just it, nice. So I'm just like laughing. That's the number one thing. And it's, and then somebody follows up. To be fair, that's only one small part of what this app claims to do. And then he's at negative one votes. Reddit is fucking trash, man. Like, I'm telling you, like the, the Mac apps subreddit, also the Apple subreddit are full of the most fucking imbecilic people. I'm going to hear from people on, on our Discord now. But I can't even with that. I love the Apple community. I love the Mac app community. And those two subreddits drive me freaking bonkers because A, anybody who says anything even remotely critical of something that Apple has ever done is treated like they're the plague. And I'm like, okay, when did you get an iPhone? Because you've never used a Mac, clearly. And you've probably been an iPhone user for two years. Shut up. Like, you're not even part of this community. Like, fuck off. And then the other thing, like the Mac app thing, is people like that who are, oh, this other thing that is not even what this does is free. It's, dude, shut up. Like, yeah. that's why people don't build better stuff. Because people are like, oh, this free one's available. It's like, you people aren't even Mac users. Shut up. Yeah. All right, that's my rant. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I I don't mind paying for things if they're done better than the free version. Agreed, one hundred percent. I like to pay for things if it's better than the free version, and I love free shit. Like I love people who do those projects, and I love to support them when I can. My my beef is with people who are like, "Oh, well, this is free," and I'm like, 
bro, first of all, this is the Mac community. Like we have a long history of supporting our indie devs. Second of all, that's not even what this is. Fuck off. Anyway, sorry. That's my rant. Yeah. Uh, So that brings us to the end of the show. That was a pretty classic episode. I feel like we didn't go as deep into politics as we sometimes do. No, we purposely avoided it. I'm real glad because everything that's been happening in the world is pretty terrible. And I don't want to talk about it. Biden did promise to have all troops out of Afghanistan by September. So there's that. Anyway. I mean, that's great. But anyway, we're not going to do that. Yeah, I just I don't want to. Yeah, I, I, in fairness, I'm like, I apologize if people like come here for that, but I really don't, don't want to talk about that. I don't think anyone comes here for the news. No, I don't think so. You have a lot of other places you can go to do that. And I think that that's fine. <laughs> we don't aim to fill that gap. We don't. We aim to be like your like mental health, pop culture programming Taylor like, Swift. gap. Taylor Swift. Yes, exactly. We, we are a Taylor Swift podcast first and foremost, and then all those other things secondary. But yeah. No, I think this was good. Last week, we were not great, and that was totally on me. But I feel like this was a good classic episode. If you if you want to have your review read live on Overtired, go leave one on iTunes. Yes, please do. We hope everyone gets some sleep. But, Christina, get some sleep. Get some sleep, Brett. The system is going down low.